Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everybody, welcome to the session. My second one this week, which is exciting for me. Working harder than you think you want to, there, yeah. Justin. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you have so many good guests lined up, you just got to do it. And now that we don't worry as much about being live per se, we do still go live. You're watching us on Facebook right now. Hi there. Um, but uh, we we actually because we can accommodate people's schedule more we just get people who are like yep i can do this day and i'm going cool i'm here we had ghost town on just on monday oh they're so good these days brewery they've always year. been yes yeah yeah uh so great guys on. too really nice people talked about their new brew house uh which was a fiasco putting in they put it i, I shouldn't spoiler alert i just put it the podcast out there but Essentially, they put in their brand new brew brew house, went to fire it up, and there was a major issue. And their solution <laughs> was to put back the old one that they had just taken out. Uh, but there's more to that story. So tune into that one that I just put out there, and you can check it out. All right. Uh, today, we have uh, Nate Smith back on the Brewing Network with us. Welcome, Nate. Hi, guys. Yeah, it's still- been a while. It's Awesome to be here in the Hop Grenade once again. It's been a minute. It has. I'm really glad you could make it. I gave Nate a call. Uh, we've been talking about trying to f- uh, and hammer down a date, so uh, I'm really glad we could finally do that. Yeah, you, um, and you couldn't find a real guest, so now you get now everybody gets <laughs> okay. to talk yeah. homebrew with me. No, which is which is super. Well, what's funny, which is super cool, and, and we're kind of like back to the roots here for a second, which I, yeah, I think exactly. is is awesome, and and. I think it's it was what people what, will like. Yeah, it was one of the things that got me into the show before I was ever on the show. I was a listener, and, and we talked homebrew 
so much in those early days. So this will be, I think this will be exciting. It's going to be all homebrew yeah. today, except for the beer we're drinking. We'll talk a little bit of pro beer in that sense. And then we've got Vito DeLucci hanging out with us too. Delucci. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Vito's the perfect guest because uh, because of our topic today, um, which I promise you, I didn't choose the topic. I just approved it, even though our topic today is uh, brewing the perfect pale ale. And Nate, I don't know if you've succeeded yet, but I know that you've gone on this quest to brew the perfect pale ale. Yeah, I think it's one of those lifelong quests which you'll never really... Right. completely nail if you're a brewer even a home brewer or a commercial brewer if you like the style any style that's your favorite sure pale ale hoppy pale ale is one of my absolute favorite styles yeah um and one that if i'm home brewing often and certainly was for the reason i'm about to describe that's a beer i'm going to want on tap at home at any given time something between maybe four and a half to five and a half maybe pushing up to almost six if you're feeling like making a slightly stronger one but something kind of sessionable that's Super hoppy, but not necessarily up in the six to six and a half or more IPA kind of range, but like big hop impact, nice and dry, nice and drinkable. Like for me, it's something I want to sit and like play guitar for two hours and drink two of them or something. Right. You know, like it's still feel the, fine. It's still, yeah. So maybe go do something else. But uh, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when, you know, we all didn't know it, but in mid March 2020, all of a sudden we're injected into this new world that we don't understand at all. I found yeah. myself really wanting to fill some of those gaps with homebrewing. And that's when I started on this you know, reinvigorating uh, this idea of really trying to nail the perfect pale ale and starting from all the ideas and notes that I'd had from doing that for years, yeah. but encountering different things along the way with what I think is how ingredients have changed over time and kind of what our, our common wisdom is about the style. Sure. And uh, our perception of what, we think a good hoppy beer is some of that has still continued to change. Like Vinny used to talk years on the, years ago on the show about that lupulin threshold shift. Yeah. Not necessarily just in terms of hop bitterness, which is kind of what the joke was at the time, but our perception of what, like what a, a good hoppy beer should taste like. Sure. Whether it's a pale ale or an IPA, I think that's become a little more elusive to nail on the homebrewing side than maybe it was years ago. I think so. so. And it's so broad now too. I'm sure we're going to talk about ingredients and new hops and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, I've had some single hop pale ales, right? That, you know, I, some of them I can take them or leave them, but others are, are fantastic. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of that, but like, as an example, just like I had like a all Nelson pale ale Yeah, and it's hard to even call that a pale ale, but at the same time, it was delicious. It was dry. It had all the characteristics of a pale ale, but also was a ton of diesel and dank, but it was still only five and a half percent, right? Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about there, and I'm sure we're going to dive into all of it. Uh, before we do, I want to thank our sponsor, still with us after all these years. I should write them a song. Uh, More Beer. You can go to morebeer.com and check them out. And Vito actually helps out with a lot of the things I've been promoting lately. For example, I always talk about Free Beer Friday. Vito, Vito makes some appearances on there. Uh, you should go check out Free Beer Friday on their YouTube page every Friday and win some cool stuff uh, that Chris Graham's always giving away. Vito also has a podcast and a video series that he's put on YouTube that's doing very well, where you go talk to pro brewers sometimes. You've gone and talked to other homebrew shops. Yeah, we call it the mashup. Uh, so it's just, you know, kind of talking to pro brewers, talking to homebrew shops. Yeah, just stoked to have more beer, you know, gave me that platform to to talk beer and homebrewing, um, you know, and beer industry stuff too. Like we went to, you know, bottle shops, things like that, just all kind of across the board. So yeah, really cool. Check out the mashup on YouTube. 
Check it out on their YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com slash, is it more flavor or more beer? On, the YouTube, um, on YouTube slash more beer. There you go. Check it all out over there. And thanks to more beer for uh, supporting us. A couple other things to announce real quick. Tickets are now on sale for the 12th annual Spring Brews Festival happening here in Concord. It's on March 25th this year, the last Saturday in March, as always. Uh, rain or shine, we'll be doing it. There'll be probably 60 uh, breweries there like we usually have. Uh, it's already shaping up to be a really uh, exciting lineup. Home so. brew booth as well? Homebrew booth as well. I already talked to the Doze boys to do Tasty's Tasting Room. Um, Tasty's Tasting Room lives on. It'll it be back. Immortalizes the Awesome. Man. Good. Yeah, I talked yeah. to Lee. We're going to brew Janet's Brown for it. Oh, perfect. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Homebrew. Homebrew. Janet's homebrew, of yeah, course. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so check it out. You get uh, you get all of Tasty's Tasting Room, plus 60 breweries, plus live music. Uh, just signed a Eagles cover band that is killer, like six pieces oh, wow. they do all the harmonies i was like man you guys are pretty dope six piece you'll fill that stage out, yeah. out there. that's cool so we got them i haven't uh, secured the other band yet but it's looking to be good so just go to the brewing network.com click on the uh, events page and you'll see it right there you can get your tickets get them early because they're cheaper now and they go up probably in march they go up as soon as the this tier sells out so don't be a procrastinator um, okay. And then uh, finally, just support all of our sponsors. That's a great way to help us out. For example, Beersmith, the Beersmith brewing software. You can go to beersmith.com. He's on version three by now. Uh, you get a free uh, free trial of it. It's fantastic brewing software. Pro brewers use it. Home brewers use it. And he's been a great sponsor of ours for years and years since we since we were at the Rat Pad. So uh, say hi to Brad over there, Brad Smith, who created the Beersmith brewing software and finally if you want to talk to us just send your feedback to feedback at the brewing network.com happy to hear from you and uh, sometimes we even read it on the air all right so nate already told us how he got started on this quest pandemic hits stuck at home decides he's to brew more and chooses pale ale as his yeah so i figured he'd be doing this for maybe two months maybe three 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 months (laughs) something like that three weeks right knock out a pale ale every week or every couple of week and have something at home to enjoy and drink and kind of kill the time but no yes sure enough like 18 months flow by or the better part of 12 to 18 months flow by and I, i homebrew about 20 24 times and Looking, How many of those are pale? Is it 20, 22 pales? About 50% of that is pale. Okay, so like wow. 12, 12 out of the 24 were, were pale ales in that 12-month period. So yeah, yeah. that was something that I wanted at all times. It was interesting to have a, a control or something else that wasn't pale ale, not only just to enjoy that, to have something to drink, but kind of as a check on the process because not only did I also want to have a hoppy beer on tap at all times, but I started running into unexpected issues in producing one just to have to enjoy to drink at home, you know, nice four and a half, five percent sort of beer was the original target. Like something I could knock out and brew pretty easily, but kind of go crazy on the hop side. Stay fairly simple on the malt side. Keep the yeast fairly constant for the the pale ale variation. Do like do a dry yeast like USO five or a liquid yeast like WLPO White Labs 001 or Y yeast ten fifty six. I used all those kind of interchangeably a little bit as I was trying to uh, trying to perfect this and and mess around with it. But those. I brewed three other beers as a beer just to have around to drink also a couple of other uh, low alcohol beers in the mix there too uh, a session uh, 60 shilling okay and a session American stout just to have something to mix it up nice and it was nice to have that as uh, my original idea was I would take and harvest the yeast from those because I was brewing often enough I was really into this idea like Jamil talked about years ago billion cells per milliliter or per degree play-doh let's really keep a healthy yeast strain around yeah if i have enough time to brew often enough let's just 
keep that flowing. So I'd start that yeast oftentimes with this other non-hoppy beer wow. and then kind of burn that yeast out through repitching on the hoppy stuff, not wanting to repitch something that maybe had seen yeah. a dry hop, for example. So, um, How are you capturing that yeast? Did you have a conical that you're just dumping out the bottom? More beer conical. Yeah. Some of it mixed up the fermentation vessels too. Sometimes did a uh, 12 gallon, 12 and a half gallon more beer conical, which I've had for gosh, way too long now. And it's yeah. still, it's still kicking. It has yeah. the temp control element in it and everything, you know, it's from 20, 25 years ago, but, uh, brewed into that and then would harvest off the bottom. If I was pulling yeast from that, or even kind of wanted to split, split batches further and do different temp control experiments from time to time. So also brewed into good standard five gallon carboys. And like Jamil talked about years ago, you can still harvest yeast off of those. If you're careful about it and you keep the, you can flame the, the lip of the carboy and stuff like that. And just kind of you know, really carefully, gently into Nalgene containers like we've talked about in the BN ever since the late 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, harvest your yeast into that and kind of let it settle out and then decide how you want to pitch off of that. But that can got me into trouble, I think, at times, too, because your viability and your pitch rate from repitching is is a pretty tough thing to do on the homebrew level and, and keep that consistent. I mean, okay. Unless you're going to actually go to the level where you have a methylene blue and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, do you, what were you going to say about that Vita? How would somebody normally want to, if they were going to try and do that at home, they would need like, I mean, yeah, simple you, lab equipment. And yeah. Methylene simple lab blue methylene and, blue. You, 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 I think you like break it down five times. You know, you take that yeast water, cut it, cut it, cut it, then put it under a microscope, get a little clicker. And you're basically just looking for what what cells metabolized uh, the the methylene blue and uh, count them, you know. And then there there's an equation. I don't know it off the top of my head. See which ones yeah. are alive versus dead, so basically. Then, wow. yeah. yeah, and then you say that's X amount viable because of you know they metabolized <clears throat> that. Yeah, an interesting yeah. control for the way in which I was, thought I was starting to get in in trouble with that, and I thought I was probably over pitching, and I'll get into why in a while. But um, to to bat, batch splitting with 10 or 15 gallons and then pitch dry yeast on, okay. on one of the variants and just to see what would happen. Um, and we've mentioned this before over the years, and I think it's worth saying again that the quality of dry yeast is really good. Yeah. And it's better than people remember years ago. And you can almost kind of pick any supplier. It doesn't matter in my experience if you trust the shop you're getting it from and that they're treating it well, like Morbier does a great job, which yep. is where I was getting all this stuff. Okay. During yeah, the, we, it's funny during the pandemic too, it like, call in my order and I was going to the San Leandro location like you'd go there and they had a table near the door oh, a total, yeah, total yeah. pandemic cell <laughs> delivery stuff I pick up or whatever yeah, yeah those guys knew me really quickly as I was going there all the time as I was brewing every week or every other week and they yeah. have, have all the stuff ready or whatever you couldn't go in there and browse or whatnot but right anyway you, you trust your good local homebrew shop especially you know the people there and, and yeah, you can the, get stuff like dry yeast and it's in Really good shape, I'd say. To that point, yeah, dry yeast is amazing. I keep referring to it as like a dry yeast revolution because not only is there better strains, but the labs that are producing them, you know, like Lalamond and Cellar Science, um, the equipment is, you know, top top notch, high end. It's not like I think, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years, there was like bread manufacturing yeast company. We're like kind of turning that out. So it was uh, not as good. So I think it got a bad rap. And I think when I started deserved, deserved, deservedly so. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's gotten a lot better. And sure. And then, uh, you know, doing some, some reading about that too, like the way they harvest it. Um, so it's an aerobic fermentation. So the lipid levels are way higher in the cell walls. So you don't need to aerate your yeast. Um, which to me was like, I'm yeah, well, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. No, yeah, not yeah, at yeah. all. That's great. I think <laughs> it was that's like, uh, exactly. I was some like, of no reason. way. But then like reading some of these, you know, um, you know, 
uh, information out there is like okay you know that's and and i've done it and it's like yeah that that actually works with dry yeast yeah 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 <laughs> you can kind of depend on your viability and the viability is just in, yeah way better per gram uh more cell count and viability than you'd get with liquid right for sure i think in terms of trying to this idea of the quest of trying to brew the perfect pale ale and i was really the parts i was struggling with i thought were probably on the fermentation side the things i thought that i wanted to really dial in over time having dry yeast was really important as a as a control in that sense, because with the modern production methods, like you talked about Vito, I think you can depend on everything you're getting out of that packet to be more or less viable and good, or at least within a really pretty tight margin versus what maybe you would expect a years ago. So your pitch rate from the dry yeast may be way more predictable than mm. what you're trying to repitch. If you're just repitching, sure. which is what the other thing I wanted to experiment with just because I think that's how you learn good brewing batch to batch practice that you could translate for um you know either either commercial brewing or just your own knowledge yeah trying to develop skills around repitching but counterbalance that with this idea of like dry yeast or something where you can really depend on your pitch rate yeah i love that you use it as a control because that yeah to be able i think that works really well for that so encourage everyone to think about that as an idea even if they don't want to use it for for everything use it as a way to sort of a b your your experiments and i think that um as i was trying to keep things like uh dry hopping constant but you know mess around with how i would treat the yeast a little bit differently that was a really cool way to to do it you know yeah um because you can especially if you take a like wlp 01 white labs 01 or us 05 you can treat them fairly similar on the fermentation temperature side too then if you want to keep that as a also as a as a constant in the in the experiment okay um yeah. So what were you you're mentioning some of these flaws that you were running into? Do you want to dive into what yeah, that was exactly. that you were trying to So one of the, so of the the pale ales that I was brewing, I kept the malt bill fairly simple. Like I'd do mostly a 50/50 um maybe two different types of two row, something like a, a Viking pale and raw two row or raw two row and even up to 50% Pilsner malt, sometimes blending in up to maybe 15%, something like Maris Otter, keeping the malt side fairly simple. I looked at my early, of the 12 or so that I brewed, I looked back at my early logs and like the first two or three had a little bit of crystal malt for fun. I deleted that pretty quickly. Okay. Just to keep, all I wanted was using like two or 3% just for color, Okay. which yeah. was which was really fun, but I decided, nah, there's no point. I didn't want to keep that around. I wasn't going to take the risk because of one of the problems I started running into Um which was dry hopping aggressively at the two and a half to three pounds plus per barrel sort of level initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beers were great for about a week or two. And then, oh no, butter, butter popcorn. That thing starts. So you mean in the finished beer? So not the, even like a week or two, at like end of fermentation, still in the fermenter. Yeah. You've now kegged. Hop creep, as Hop people creep. like to say, yeah. in the yeah. in the finished beer, right? And so okay. in the beginning, I'm like, I know, I know home brewing. I've done this a million times. I'll right. just, I'm not even going to check. I'm not even going to de-check. I'm not going to check my FG. I think I'm good. You know what I mean? Or maybe, enough time. Maybe yeah. you check the finished gravity a little bit. You just kind of look and think you're fine, whatever. And then all of a sudden... I started running into these issues that uh, are hop creep related on the back end. And I'm like, uh Oh, right. if I really want to enjoy this again and get, try and get good at it again, I got to figure out what's going on there. What's really diving into it. So yeah, yeah. You got this interaction between, um, hops and yeast and the, any kind of enzymatic activity that could be happening at that point. And there's a bunch of different ways you can try and control those variables. Um, 
to avoid hop creep. Well, one of the things I thought that was really interesting and different from trying to do this in 2008 to 2014, which is when the last time I was brewing just tons and tons of pale ales is hops are killed oftentimes at a lower temp now than they were before. And there's different hop products that are available. Hmm. And thanks to my, my friends at um, Alvarado Street and at Cellar Maker and at Faction, all three of those breweries were kind enough to give me super high quality hops during, nice. during that first early phase of the pandemic. And extra shout out to all three of those breweries. Yeah. That was super awesome and fantastic and wouldn't, I, you know, I, I tried to compensate in return and they yeah. would give me, you know, a few pounds of this, few pounds of that. And which was awesome because I think it, uh, in particular when these guys gave me cryo, the quality there was in, incredible and amazing. Right. And I could not necessarily use it uh, two for one, but kind of look at the dry hop in a different way. But I think universally across the board, because I was getting these high quality hops from all these sources that I trusted, I knew that they were current crop year. I knew that they were fresh and you could smell and, and, and get a really clear perception that they were fresh right off the bat. But I think because all mo- most modern hops versus 10 years ago were killing at a little bit lower temp across the board, especially these guys were kind enough to give me stuff, you know, that most you'd mostly want. And this is what I was using for pale ale production, like Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, mm-hmm. and um, cryo versions of some of each of those. And then a little bit of New Zealand hops, which I was able to get on the side also, but just focusing mostly for this, this particular pale ale experiment focus on mostly on those hops okay yeah just so not even class not even centennial not it not going back to Chinook, a little bit not, a little okay. bit of chinook a little bit of centennial a little okay. bit of amarillo but the uh, that was mainly on the hot side right yeah, use okay. those the cold side which where i was really worried trying I to see. troubleshoot this yeah was focused on hops like those and because of that lower kilning temperature one of the ideas and i think i don't know if this has been completely proven Vito, correct me if you know yeah. for sure that there may be the potential for more enzymatic activity Definitely. because they're killing at a lower temperature. So like I've uh, seen Vinny talk from Russian River about that and he actually showed data like uh, supporting that. And, and it was actually a problem that the the hop, uh, you know, there's like 50, 60 breweries that kind of work closely with the hop. Uh, the consortium. Co- the consortium, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had them lower the kilning temperature because like, whoa, the fruits and, you know, the, 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 the aromatics is so much better. But the the thing the difference or what happened at least how Vinny explained it was you know at that higher kilning temperature it's it's specifically the amg enzyme the amyglucidase i believe it's pronounced uh-huh. um which people you know you guys probably remember brood ipas that was like the big thing to dry yeah. those out that's the enzyme people were adding to achieve that anyways that's naturally present on hops and fruit and all kinds of things for that matter but by kilning it at that lower temperature they weren't denaturing that enzyme Okay. So, you know, create it better hops in the last, you know, five so years, but then also create it hop creep um, was kind of how that happened. Um, so, you know, fast forward to here we are now. Like anything yeah. in brewing, there's a trade off. Right? Yeah. yeah. You make one thing better and, and something else may suffer for it or you may have well, some other battle to fight. Right. And that seems to be what's what's emerging here. You know? And just like you said, happened to you. I, I think a lot of these brewers, you know, especially that have been making great beers for so long, it, they didn't change their process. They didn't know they need to. So everything's exactly. going fine. I'm just going to do what I do. Probably won't even check the final gravity anymore because I've been doing this for yeah. a decade. Right. And then uh, it's like, oh, no, it's in my beer, too. Like, I didn't want to admit it at first because I really felt like I know what I was doing. I'm like, no, it's not there. It's not because it's, 
Gwyneth's hop creep. You don't. You, yeah, you but, start getting it slowly, right? Like, like. Okay, a, but the know, only other person drinking your beer, the, the person drinking your beer the most besides you is Nicole <laughs> yeah, Ernie. Exactly. So there's no hiding from any flaws no. in your beer. <laughs> no, you no. are the you are the light lager of brewers, Nate. Indeed, there's not one flaw that you can hide from. <laughs> Indeed, it, it kind of made it awesome though. There's no way I could could hide from it or, or mm. deny the fact that it was happening. I right. think I kind of sensed it too, but I would give it to Nicole and that yeah. was always the, the litmus test. You know, <laughs> she would, she would have off days too a little bit, but especially as it started to emerge, she'd be like, yeah, Nate, it's yeah. there. I can Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't every time, but it was often enough where I felt like I really had something to troubleshoot in that aspect. I think that's one of the trickier uh, aspects of building, brewing a pale ale on the homebrew side that you, if you really wanted to stand up to some of the best commercial examples that you'll find. You got to hop it like that. You got to hop mm-hmm. it like that. You really so got to hop it kind of aggressively. And so your, your variables to try to control that, you have okay. a few different ways in which you can attack this, right? Um, even starting with kind of the beginning of making, making the beer. So one of the ways in which I wanted to make the perfect pale ale was like, well, let me skip these crystal or, or um, you know, kind of unfermentable malts and I'll control that through mash temp. Well, I started wondering, am I leaving too many unfermentable sugars in the final beer? Am I leaving starch behind, basically? Okay. And is there something in that? Is there some, is the um, enzymes that are in the hops that Vito touched on and talked about, are they actually converting some starch that's left behind and then that's kicking up a fermentation again? And that's where I'm getting diacetyl, right? Okay. So you could try and attack it from that angle. Or, uh, especially when I was trying to repitch yeast and think about yeast health and viability, was I not giving the yeast enough calcium to begin with, right? Okay. And in the San Francisco Bay Area, especially in the East Bay, where we're at here at the Hop Grenade, and I live over on this side of the Bay Area too, our water tends to be fairly soft, and we have to do something if we want to just use our tap water, carbon block filtered, to get the enough calcium content for things to work correctly at the, the yeast metabolism and yeast health level kind of okay. long term. And I was kind of being a little bit lackadaisical in that at the beginning. So that was one thing, another variable to dial in, right? Mm-hmm. And without, because I've always been too lazy to do RO water. You could do RO and then just build it up from scratch. But in the Bay Area, you got pretty good starting point. If you get, Vito turned me on to this too. And I was, because I, I go to people I trust like Vito and talk about this issue I was having in brewing and be like, well, you, you encourage me, well, dear, you test your water. Do you know where you're starting from? And I'm like, no, kind of yeah. lazy about that. I should probably... Yeah, you probably check, and um, you could. There's a lot of great kits out there. Morby sells a few of those, along with many other suppliers these days, and they work really well to give you a sense of like where you're starting from. So you don't necessarily have to do RO if you're trying to get to a certain calcium or chloride level. Um, I was just making sure I was seeing something like 50 heart parts per million calcium at a as kind of a baseline for like yeast health. I'm like, okay, am I somehow pissing off the yeast? And there's precursor diacetyl left behind, and then that's just happening. And during the hop creep phase, so that was another uh, angle to to troubleshoot. Kettle hot side, super hot side, not not as much troubleshoot there. Other than the um, this idea that if I was doing over dry hopping and doing too much on the whirlpool side, they could kind of be there could be some kind of a symbiotic relationship there a little bit between the two, and they may be kind of amplifying each other. The real problems, I think. that in my particular case and in most people's case are trying to do this at home, we're controlling the fermentation, pitch rate, viability, dry hopping level, temperature of dry hopping, those kind of things. I think adjusting those variables really, really started to 
fix uh, fix the issue long term. But it was fairly iterative. It wasn't just one thing. It was like all these mm. things kind of working in in conjunction. Um, there's taking dry hop alone. I think there's some pretty I th- Tom Shellhammer had done some research on this a number of years ago, and it's out there. And I forget exactly where the references are, but if you guys search for it, you'll find it. You talk. He talked a lot about what sort of dry hopping levels can you push to the max before you get kind of diminishing returns, mm-hmm. right? And there are plenty of IPA brewers who push way beyond that these days. And um, I think that's fine. I don't want to necessarily say that anyone who's going for a five pounds per barrel is wrong. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in particular, thinking about a, a smaller, more delicate beer like this, like a pale ale, that's somewhere in the range of like uh, 4.5 to 5% ABVs. Like I was shooting for original gravity somewhere in like the... 1040 to kind of 1050 range max and then finishing gravity fairly pretty dry around the one 106 to 108 kind of range so like you know one and a half to two plato or so um you you want to approach the dry hop maybe with these kind of guidelines that sure that, that shelma hammer talked about where it's like okay two to two and a half pounds per barrel range is probably kind of about the max where you're gonna where you're gonna get a uh, much benefit and i think for the on the home brewing level that's um, kind of along the range of like one and a half, one to one and a half, or one point seven ounces per gallon. Okay, that kind of range. Um, and in the beginning, that's a safe spot. You're saying that's a that's kind of a starting point for if you think you have these kind of issues, like I was talking about, and okay. if you really don't necessarily want to waste hops, or if you want to th- want to think about what might be optimal based on the research that's out there. And in the beginning, I was like doubling that just for fun okay you're going three ounces i got these great hops for my friends let me just use them it'll be awesome like let's go three ounces or more i think that was contributing potentially contributing to the problem so one of the ways to troubleshoot it like you were asking was like okay let me bump that down to like one to one and point seven ounces okay Um, and i think that helps yeah and i think the actual hop impact was was better okay sometimes commercial brewers will talk about this the less is more. Uh, that less can be more. It's maybe for a delicate beer, that's particularly true. I think the exception to that is um, when I talk to folks who do super modern, uh, like Scott Janish was someone that had had a cool discussion with this stuff about a month and a half ago, and that Sapwood, I know they do super low temps hmm. for their dry hop, and they really hmm. push that boundary of how much like dry hop they do. Like what is a low do. temp? Down in the 50s. Thir- right. in the 50s oh, right, or, yeah. or lower. Lower than that, that, I think, um, yeah. It's a different flavor. It definitely, yeah. for me. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to go back to the dry hop, too. Um, was it all T90 pellets, or, or you said cryo as well? All T90 and cryo. Okay. Those were, okay. Those were the two. What were, like, yeah. the percentage? You'll probably get into it, the percentages of cryo to, to pellet. It kind of depended on what I had and what I liked. What, what you, know, you break part and smell it. I think, um, you know different than years ago where we really kind of fixate on a specific variety and only trying to get that. I think if you have it, it's fresh. You like the, the kind of the basic profile of it is, mm-hmm. is it an expressive American hop like Simcoe Citra Mosaic and you have enough of it to kind of hit a target that you want. I think about those a little more interchangeable than maybe we used to years ago. And part of that's just cause we're spoiled and there's so many good kind of craft brewing focused American hops now that you can use um, in those spots. I think, you know, quantity, time, temperature, and like original gravity of the beer are almost even equally, if not more important to hit a target of making something than variety delicious than, yeah, yeah than variety to, what about, to some extent. What about know? cryo specifically though? And I'm wondering if this is kind of where you're asking Vito, yeah. is cryo less likely to contribute to, to hop creep? Exactly. Yeah. It is because it, it doesn't have the, the vegetal enzyme. matter. I see. Yeah. 
Right. So cryo is less vegetal matter, less which vegetal. means less yeah. enzymes. So where that enzyme is going to exist is yeah. in the vegetal matter. On the particular? outside, the exterior of the, the hot plant. Yeah, yeah. where the, the cryo is like more the pure center lupulin, right? So I would assume you'd get less uh, of that enzyme from, from cryo. Because I can but. picture the first thing our listeners, our hop head listeners are thinking when you say pull back the hops, they're like, wow. Okay, but I still want it to be dank. <laughs> but this is a way you can pull back the T90, you can pull back that, that vegetal matter and then increase the dank or whatever you're looking for in that case yep. by adding cryo, right? By adding cryo. Yeah, okay. you're right, Vito. That mm. should it should be a good control mechanism or at least one way in which you can dial down that mm-hmm. that knob a little bit yeah, potentially, like lower the, lower the potential that But that you'd still maybe get down to like 1.3, whatever, 1.5 uh, in ounces – but not reducing the dank factor or those other hot factors mm-hmm. that you're looking for by with the addition of cryo, right? Maybe even getting yeah. more of what you want in theory exactly. because yeah, you should yeah. have a. Okay. I think the original way it was kind of pitched to brewers was like double or kind of like double bang for the buck in mm-hmm. terms of like sure. per out, you know, per unit of measure that. No, because it's also scrap. double the price. So that's a great. Well, pitch. indeed, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, don't worry, double the price. You got to double the alpha it acids somehow. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you found that, uh, that, that there was a lot of it coming from these New World hops and in high doses, new which is what we've, high doses, it's what so. I've heard the pro brewers come in here when, whenever it, hop creep has come up. I mean, that's if, whenever they dumb it down for me, uh, that's kind of what it comes down to is uh, New World hops. And I actually either haven't been told or wasn't listening about the, um, the kilning process actually mm-hmm. contributing to it, but uh, I, I'm sure I've heard that on the show too. So... Interesting. We're going to take a break because we got uh, we've got a lot more to cover. Um, but that's a definitely a, a perfect start to uh, you to Nate finding his perfect um, paleo. <laughs> so not only do we have more to talk about um, from Nate and and his input, but uh, just as a little teaser, I went through and and dug up some old notes from when I got to brew Pale Thirty One with Matt Brinelson over at Firestone there, and. And even more enjoyable for me, and I think our listeners, was I found a bunch of notes in a conversation between Matt and Tasty on that beer, where Matt was soliciting some advice from Tasty on how we might even make Pale 31 a little more modern. And so I'm curious uh, how Tasty's notes might stand up to some of the things that you found. Oh, this will be good. We have contributions uh, from Tasty. Yeah. Pale 31 and Tasty live on. Exactly. Two things we miss dearly. All right. So hang in there. You're listening to the session and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We are with Nate Smith and Vito DeLucci talking my favorite, talking the perfect pale ale. Which I never brewed, but Nate is on a quest. Are you still on the quest? I'm still on the quest, not as often as I would want these days. I got to recapture that magic, you know, recapture that what was the, you know, best you can make of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, you know what I mean? (laughs) Among the, you know, among the successes and the fails, it was was cool to do along the way and really like dive into all the the hands-on nuts and bolts of home brewing. I mean, there are some fun, spectacular fails along the way. So... In the beginning of the pandemic, we also had this weird sort of three or four month period where you couldn't get CO2, mm-hmm. oh, at least, yeah. or at least not very easily, yeah. Yeah. right? So I kind of ran out of what I had or I was getting really low. So I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll keg condition this pale ale. Because okay. like, I'd keg conditioned, uh, I had a Belgian single on, um, you know, well, uh, called uh, fascist servitude obliteration. So I had that 60, <laughs> 60, 60 shilling <laughs> called catastrophic capitalist suffocation curse, mm. right? I'd keg-conditioned yes. keg- 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 both of those. And the, the American Stout, Nightmares in the Human Collapse, 
Most yes. deep, oh my deep, gosh. deep respect to my friends who I stole the name from that on. Look okay. that up. They're a great band. Um, name of their song. Anyway, uh, so I'd keg conditioned all those successfully. And that was great. So I'm like, all right, cool. Thinking I'm like a like a badass British cask brewer style guy. Like, yeah. I can keg condition anything. This is fine. Like, can, can I ask you real quick? Just yeah. to, I don't, and I want to divert us, but you do say successfully. And I assume that you mean that you got it to the right carbonation level that you wanted. But exactly. I'm curious, too if there was a flavor difference that you noticed um, in keg conditioning? Not a flavor difference, okay. but to me, when you ferment in the vessel that you're serving from, yeah. you can smell kind of an ester or a, to me, it was almost mm. like a slight phenol. Oh. Like that yeast under pressure okay. that's creating the CO2 for you in the finished product yeah. is under more stress. And so it's going to act a little differently. And to me, it was getting like whatever character that yeast had to begin with. And to me, it seemed like kind of a phenol. Okay. You'd smell it. Okay. A little bit. That makes sense. Not the, I don't think the, some people talk about the size of the bubble or the quality of the. Sure. I'm I'm not going to discount that. If people who know way more about this than me are probably much better brewers and seller people, but I've never been able to perceive a difference. Okay. But yeah, it's kind of fun to keg condition those beers. So I'm like, ah, let's keg condition American pale ale. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So bad. Oh, really? So terrible. So God awful. I think you can do it. I'm sure you can certainly do it. But sure. This was already, you know, it obviously had already been finished and dry hopped and everything. Something about that additional fermentation activity, uh, warm, because you want it warm enough where you can kind of, yeah. it was just, just transform the hop flavors into something that, wow, it was a dumper. I was Don't like, tell that mm. to Sierra Nevada. No, I know. I think they're, they're like, I'll say there are people way more skilled than me to pull this <laughs> off. Figured and, it out, yeah. yeah. You find your own limits. You're like, oh yeah, I can do this. It'll be cool. It'll be great. It'll be like better pale ale than ever. It's like, no. Bad, yeah. awful, terrible. I mean, I could have made some mistake along the way, but like a basic thing, like I didn't clean something well enough or something like that. Sierra Nevada is uh, doing such low DO brewing, like yeah, I mean, okay, you know, from from like the malt, uh, the mill side all the way through. So that you know, that, I could see them. You know, yeah. the science is there on their end. Key point, <laughs> yeah. Vito. I think what I learned in trying to do this universally was that controlling DO excuse me, at the homebrewing level is really tough. Sure. Especially when you want to nail certain kinds of hop flavors, like the benefits you get from DO control in a modern brewery and for especially for hoppy brewing at the modern scale that we want to do it, these really aggressively hopped beers and dry hop beers, it's increasingly becoming harder to do that at the homebrew level and control DO. That was one of the things I didn't mention earlier when you asked me about how to troubleshoot this problem. So a function of fermentation is oxygen exposure. Yeah. Right, so if you have oxygen exposure anywhere along the way, you may be increasing this potential for hop creep, right? Or issues you're going to have in general with the fermentation persisting in ways that you didn't want it to. Okay, harder for a homebrew to do that than than I w- not. I always you know? describe it kind of like similar to a barrel. You know, the the smaller the barrel, the more surface area of the wood, right, with mm-hmm. the liquid. Yeah, um, it's kind of the same with oxygen, right? Like, so the smaller your batch size, the easier it is to to. Yeah, oxidate sure. that. So we're like big batches. You know, there's so much liquid. You're, it's it's just easier to protect it. It really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah that's you're fighting the, a losing battle on the smaller end. Yeah, you, you know? really this are. And, yeah. On the homebrew level, you're always going to be tiny compared to something that on the commercial scale, seven, yeah. ten, twelve barrels or more, even at least. You know. Well, then does this lend to the uh, the argument for for dry yeast? Because you're it, not even aerating your wort. It does a bit, or you don't necessarily have to aerate mm-hmm. the dry yeast. And that took a little bit of a leap of faith in my old school brewing yeah, yeah, skills. I'd be like, oh, I want to hydrate. You got to hydrate that. Yeah, so yeah. I'm yeah. like, like, nope, just, just dump it in. Yeah. And Vito, you're one of the people to, to, that can encourage me to do that. You're like, no, don't even do that. Don't even hydrate it like we used to in Crazy. old days. You can just, yeah. you can just oh, dump that yeah. stuff in. I'm like, 
oh, this is great. I get to be lazy. Right. More time to play guitar and do other stuff. Whatever the fuck. Right, but it feels like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. Mm -hmm. Right, your first your first time doing it. I know you're like too comfortable to drive you. So I'm like, oh, this stuff is great. It kind of (laughs) like it does anything. Yeah, like you know, back to the. the, I can't even fuck it up. Back to the old. uh, I think it was the debutante stripper analogy, right? It's like you can do it. You can do anything, whatever, right? So I'm just like, I start. One of the other fails among the uh, among the keg conditioning uh, pale ale thing is like, okay, you read the specs for dry yeast. I think it's USO5 in this case. I don't want to pick on those guys. It's great yeast, I thought. But it's like, oh, you can go up to 72 or 74. I'm like, cool. Let me just ferment, ferment it at 72. Yeah, then. why not? Nah, bad idea. Okay, okay, I, I, yeah. I think my D, my D with, problems yeah. were worse yeah. uh, with, with that one okay. uh, in trying to, trying to mess with that. But um, yeah, you got to have some fails along the way when you're trying to experiment. You get a little cocky sometimes. You feel like you figured stuff out or you can you can push the limits but yeah if you're brewing enough and you're not afraid to dump stuff i mean that was sort of where i was at with a little bit of it too you know what i mean like, of course i wanted okay. to drink everything i was producing but if i was doing batch splitting it would get a little weird on one of them and have to dump it you know, it was okay i figured i was going to be brewing again in a couple of weeks right i love that the but, uh, the world's making sourdough and, and nate's making pale ale he's making pale ale. <laughs> well, i was doing that too but that's <laughs> now different, wait, that's a different show but <laughs> w- wouldn't wouldn't keg conditioning alone solve the hop creep that problem? That is well, well, not just solve the hop creep. Maybe it would certain help with with the oxygen part. But yeah, in a sense, and maybe in the way that, like, okay, if there's anything left to ferment, or if there's any yeast left in solution, then you're giving them a job to do. Yeah, and they're not going to be chewing on whatever stuff might be left over and producing D off of that. But that's not what you found. Well, I think it. It could work in that way, but it destroyed the flavor in other ah. in other ways from sitting warm too long. I think the problem see, there yeah. is like the way that we interpret like great fresh hoppy pale ale. Thanks, Win, for the one like we have in front of us right now. Um, the thing is had only cold exposure to all those like really delicate hop oils. Okay, and those things are so volatile. If you're trying to do keg conditioning and letting that thing sit at sixty eight or seventy for four or five days to let it condition, those those hop oils are just degrading and turning into terrible yeah. tasting what we would think is like a stale or oxidized kind of an IPA. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I think that was, uh, I had fun names for all the, I think that was like wings of despair. Like the third one that I did, I tried keg conditioning <laughs> after that. It didn't, didn't work out as well. So. Dude, I want you to have a whole line of pale ales, not only cause I love pale ales. <laughs> I know that I, you're a great brewer, but the names would just be so good. Yeah, I just want to hold the despair series. It was like, if I had more money, Nate, I would build a brewery just for your named pale ales <laughs> that is what I would do. Thank you, sir. Should, should we talk a little bit about malt, especially since I teased Tasty's input into this? Let's do that. And I, and I, so one of the things you were talking about either at the beginning of the show or maybe even before we started is, and I was mentioning too, the really wide array of pale ales that there are now. Uh, if, so, for example, we had a row to Hill 56 in our glass at the start of this show. That's from Russian River, an all Simcoe pale ale. Yep. That's wildly different than the pale ale we have in our glass now from Wondrous, which is called uh, Straight Leg. This one is lighter, drier, and... I would say even dankier, even though the other one's all Simcoe. Yeah, it has mosaic, I believe. Not There's another yeah. hop component, but it has a w- much more of an earthy, dank sort of thing. Right. Both great paleos, but different. Both great paleos. And I, and I cool would Cool having them back to back like this for that reason, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I do think that one might subscribe to the tasty advice I'm about to give more than the other. I think maybe the Wondrous beer is a little more on the tasty side, which would make sense, by the way. Win was like a, a protege of, of tasty. 
Okay, so this came up. We were brewing Pale 31 again. We were reviving Pale 31 because uh, I had made fun of Firestone Walker for getting rid of it. I made a funeral video and sent it to them, uh, which made Matt really sad. <laughs> and then he invited me to come uh, revive it, put our Hop Grenade logo on it, which was super cool. And um, anyhow, he brought in Tasty 2 in an email thread. And he said, hey, Tasty, you know that we're about to do this beer with Justin. Tasty was still ill at this time, but he was well enough to, to, to talk and communicate. He was going out from time to time, but he couldn't go to the brewery with us. But in this email, he gave his advice and he gave a little bit of his own experience where he said, um, back in 08, he had blended, and he probably told this story on the air, he had blended a double IPA, which was a Pliny clone at the time, with a Dortmunder, with a ratio of about 75% Dort. And the result, he thought, was this American uh, American pale ale that advanced to the second round of the of the national of the HA national competition, um, and he really liked that. And and since he made it to the second round, he had to brew it again. But he didn't. Mm. He wasn't he didn't want to brew two beers, so he just figured out a way to combine those two recipes. And the result, if you've been listening to the Brewing Network a long time, I'm sure you won't find this a surprise. But it was to uh, the malt break. The base malt breakdown came to uh, he added 14 percent pilsner and 86 percent pale. So some sort of two-row pale malt. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and this was kind of the advice that he was giving to Matt, knowing Matt's uh, uh, malt bill at the time, which was had two-row um, Munich and Carapils mm-hmm. in it, the, the, the OG Pale 31. I'm not going to give all the, the, you know, I don't know if that's proprietary stuff, but I think everybody knows that those uh, three uh, were in there. So Tasty was like, hey, if you are trying to modernize this a little bit, simplify but Tasty was still a fan of two malts, right? He didn't just want it to be all pale malt or all two row or even all pilsner, right? He wanted he still wanted two malts in there. So it's a beer that you have it's is delicate enough where you have the ability to play around with that on the on malt bill side. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to go crazy and use an aggressive, super assertive malt, but blending base malts is one way to achieve mm-hmm. that. I think that's pretty cool and um lends a kind of subtle complexity that's interesting and kind of in a maybe slightly intangible way like okay you have a malt like munich which is a little bit toasty Mm -hmm. or which is different than you have certain forms of two row even up to something like marisada which has like a slight biscuit kind of quality to it right so you can play with those kind of levers a little bit right or on the other end of the spectrum to kind of fill it all out use something like a base american two row which is just going to kind of support everything else right using those as kind of your character malts instead of trying to throw a super aggressive like you know c120 or Chris, something yeah, out right, there, yeah. something like that those are great malts but not necessarily ones you'd want to do for the modern way lens in which we look at these kind of pale ales you know what i mean i think munich in particular was mentioned here mm-hmm. small amounts of that or even moderate to higher amounts of pilsner malt i think can can work really well. I was looking back through my notes before to prepare for our discussion today. I think the sixth iteration I did of this idea, I called it Shadows of Despair <laughs> that time, right? <laughs> yes. I pushed the limits on uh, Pilsner Malt and did 50-50s, Pilsner Malt and um, Raw Turo. Really like that effect. 50-50. 50-50. I think yeah. it achieved something maybe similar to what Munich would have done in, in Pale 31. I think the level of Munich wasn't quite high at 50% by no means. Sure, but yeah. Um, that flavor co- contribution from the Zweirman pills I was using in this case, kind of similar to what you would get through Munich, that kind of toasty, melanoidin kind of range of, of flavors. Munich's much more intense along those lines, but, uh, you know, a German 
produced malt like any kind of Vireman Pills or Munich, if you co- incorporate that into a pale, I think that's a one of the keys, one of the secret keys on the hmm. malt bill side to creating kind of the best version of a a pale ale, or you know, your ideal version of a pale ale of what you might have out there. Um, I think Carafoam or Carapils is another thing you could introduce too, but that yeah. one... Um, a little body, good head yeah, retention. Yeah, for a little bit of yeah. body and head retention, you know, maybe a couple percent, not not do too much, but just a little bit might be an interesting variable to play with. When we you know, when we talk about modern IPA, modern pale ale, you know, we were talking about it off the, off the air. Uh, one of Tasty's tips was take out the crystal malt. You know, that was that was yeah. one that, that he would say... Um, you know, it helps with the the hop cre- or that hop side, and then also the staling side of things too. So, yeah. like that was kind of like a tip that you know. Yeah, I had yeah. forgotten about that part. The, not the not the get rid of crystal because that was a mantra of his. Yeah, but yeah. I forgot about the staling benefit yeah. of it. Yeah, when that yeah when crystal malts kind of start to to turn in a beer, it kinda, we have that like of our baseline aso- association with like kind of that stale cardboardy side of beer. It seems like that the higher crystal malt focused beers that can kind of come out in a way. Um, especially with a hoppy crystal malt driven beer for whatever reason that whenever that starts to come out, they can just seem to amplify each other. Okay. And yeah. it doesn't seem to be very pleasant for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Right. So did you end up in your process I think it, yet yeah, find as, an ideal malt combo? As I got to the point where I thought I was fixing those diacetyl issues, mm. like introducing, cause I'd started using crystal 55 or crystal 60 in the beginning. Like the first one I did was bat venom abyss. <laughs> and I had like, <laughs> That had like yeah. like three percent or four percent like English Crystal fifty five right I did, okay. deleted that pretty quickly as I did like the third second or third iteration right, right? So by the time I was getting to I think uh, it was like um, um, fi- I just called it Shadow Despair at the end it was kind of one of the names I'd settled on for this beer I'd like I'd started I not putting Crystal fifty five back in but you were talking a little bit about Carafoam or Cara, or uh, mm-hmm. Cara Munich or um, uh, Carapils. Carapils, yeah. Carapils or Carafoam. I think you can use those a little bit in that slot. I kind of like Carafoam. And Carapils is what Pale 31 used, too. Exactly. Mm. And just a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. Mm. Not necessarily to give it flavor, but maybe to give it head retention, like yeah. you're saying, Vito, and a, a, little bit of, a little bit of body. Um, but pretty simple on the other aspects of it. I'd use maybe something as uh, unusual as a acidulated malt, which is not all that weird for kind of hoppy beer production just to get the ph, pH of the mash yeah. into, into mm. focus you could do that through other means too and that's kind of lactic acid or yeah exactly acid. the the um it's just like malt's kind of expensive way to do it um, oats if you want a little bit of that kind of hazy uh aspect into it a little bit kind of didn't really do too much of that in this series of experiments but wanted okay. to want a little bit of element of that in a couple cases didn't really stick stick with it though because i wanted to keep the malt bill side really simple but for a classic clear kind of west coast style american pale ale i think if you're doing a a blend of any kind of two-row that you like with a little bit of something that has a German malted flavor uh, to it, like Munich or Car- or um, Pils. You know, I think that's one of the keys to make it work. Another interesting wild card on the malt bill side is like Maris Otter. Mm-hmm. This is one that McDowell talked about a lot years ago, yeah. too. Is kind of a cool thing for um, not just pale ale, but IPA brewing, like, you know, 10, maybe 10, 15% to kind of give it this interesting, intangible, slight biscuity side to the malt blending base malts i guess is kind of if you could maybe one mm-hmm. basic takeaway yeah blend base malts that you like okay and ones that would kind of work in any kind of pale beer i think that's one one way you could approach this and still have fun with it and make it your own so you know? if you if you sort of started this talk with with this 50 50 pale 50, pilsner yep the, what you're saying now is you might go like 
45-45 and then mix in some carapils. Or, exactly. Okay. Exactly, Justin. Yeah, 45-45 or 48-48 and then kind of fill in the rest with like a, a carafoam or carapils. Or maybe a touch of oats or, or yeah. maris otter or something like that. Go 40-40 to and your then preference. fill in the rest okay. with maris otter and just a touch of acidulated or um, a carafoam or something like that. That's most of what you need. You can go a little crazier if you want something specific, but I think sure. it's a little more perilous after that because after all, like, and that, of course, is for this kind of modern West Coast style yeah. pale ale, right? That is not, for example, to make a Sierra Nevada pale ale. No. Right. Sierra Nevada <laughs> pale ale is still going to have some, some crystal. Kind of C60, and, yeah, kind yeah. of C55, kind of C60 range in it, you know, and just... Because it was the holidays recently, we probably all had a celebration mm, or two or saw that oh kicking God, around. So many. Such a crystal malt driven beer, right? And but it's still so a, delicious. Still oh, a classic. So and not, so is pale ale. Not I mean, hating on, on crystal malts, you know what I'm saying? In the right context, especially yeah, in the, the right place. way. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that. <laughs> sure, sure. But just what yeah. you were just to clarify to folks at home, especially if you're getting new into this, this is a new school West Coast pale ale that we're really New School West Coast pale ale, primarily that yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Hazy versions of it that have a lot of wheat notes and so forth. That's a Yeah. It's a different dragon to slay for a different day, yeah. I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Same concept, yeah. but yeah, just right. increase the protein. Um, I think I think Matt and and Mike's uh, discussion around that though was pretty cool. It was nice to have both a beer that yeah, we can't cool. enjoy anymore at Pale Thirty One, and we don't have Mike here on the mic sadly anymore to talk about it with us. So we yeah, have uh, he would have loved it too. He'd be he sitting would. right there, just well, he'd mostly be listening to you because he loved to learn about. He would have loved the results of your experiments, and and of course would have been able to contribute uh, with with some of his own. So I definitely thought it was. Plus, it was just such great advice, and he, it's funny too. I just I, I didn't read the top of the email the. The top of the email when Matt wrote to him to request his advice, you know, Mike was like, Tasty goes, well, I'm hard pressed to even attempt to improve Pale 31. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Back to something you mentioned in the beginning before I forget too, Justin. I think Pale yeah. 31, technically when they were producing it at, at scale, had a little bit of um, uh Double barrel. So blended in with it, didn't oh. it? Now this is a great. I'm glad you bring that up. And I thought that I read that reference in this email. Yeah. But you know where I found it? Where I was reminded of it? Mm-hmm. On the More Beer website, mm-hmm. I went to look to see if the Pale 31 kit was still available, mm-hmm. and my my old ass DVD uh, still are. Yeah. I'll put links in the show notes to those of you listening. But you can buy uh, an extract kit and an all grain kit uh, for Pale 31. You can also buy the old Brewing Network DVD which honestly was one of the best products we ever put out uh, that is so me and cool. Matt brewing together and Matt describing you know every every step of the process I read in the I, I wanted to read the reviews mm-hmm. of the of the kits to see what people thought and uh, in one of the comments is where I was reminded uh, uh, it must have been a, a Brewing Network listener I think who heard it on here and went in and commented and said well by the way sure this is the recipe for Pale 31 like according to Matt but the OG Pale 31 was X percentage of Mission Street Pale Ale and X percentage of um, I think Union Jack I don't know if it was ah, Double Barrel thank familiar. you maybe it was I, Union I think Jack. it might have been Union Jack because it was still quite – and it might have been all three. That's not Maybe. what this comment said. But anyway, yeah. praise to the usefulness of the More Beer website yeah. when they re- are reviewing recipe kits. You can go get some pretty good info from homebrewers right there. 
That's some good beer and pro homebrewing history kind of captured in a, in the back alleys of the internet right there between right. Brewing Network, Tribal Knowledge, and stuff that was archived on uh, yes. our beer website. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. There was a blend. Uh, yeah, you might be right. It could have been all three of those at I, one I do point, think but. I remember Union Jack being in there. And and in such a way, by the way, that the and it's probably one of, I don't, this is not insider information, Um one of the reasons the beer was canceled is not just that at the time pale ales were were losing popularity, but they had to brew two, maybe three beers on the same day mm. in <laughs> order to get pale thirty one. Oh, that's what because they're doing. Because it wasn't like they were taking finished tanks. I see. I thought there was a finished beer. No, blend. so did oh, I. Okay. When I talked to Matt about it, no, it they had to plan a brew day where oh. both of those beers were needed on their own, and a portion of them could go together. That's also so awesome. for pale thirty one, yeah. right? Um, but it was awesome, so but a nightmare too. Right? Oh yeah. yeah, the beer production geek in me loves that idea. But in terms of trying to, but his do team that, hated it. Yeah. yeah, in terms of trying to actually do that day in and day out on a schedule, but that's it was nightmare. so successful, so wildly successful from an award standpoint, from an, a consumer standpoint, until Pale Ale faded out of the light, yeah. which. Unf- which now is back in the spotlight as people, even hopheads are like, yeah, I don't always want an IPA. I would love a pale Are we ale. getting there? So, is that what's happening right I now? I think we I are. So. I hope so. Yeah. Look, I'm not telling you that IPAs are declining in popularity. What I am telling you is that brewers, and I think in part doing to this process that you're doing, Nate, are brewing more and more pale ales. And I think it's because so. they can be hoppier, danker, drier, closer to an IPA with a lower alcohol. Yeah. You know, well, which is something, again, Tasty talked about for years. I mean, absolutely. I would call Tasty the inventor of the session IPA. Um, you know, there's, that's probably could be argued. But uh, when he was messing with his pale ale in this way, he was thinking of a session IPA. Yeah. He wasn't really thinking of a pale ale. He was thinking of a hoppy ass beer mm-hmm. that drank like a pale ale. And that's what he ended up with a session IPA. You're, and you're reminding me when I was going through this quest in mid early 2020, um, <clears throat> Tim and Connor had published this. Uh, they were kind of always trying to wave from the banner Maker? for yeah from yeah. Seller Maker. Yeah. From, sorry, yeah, Tim and Connor from Seller Maker were kind of always trying to wave the banner for pale ale, like drink more pale ale. They would say this right. in their promo material and stuff like that when they would release so West Coast pale ales, and they published a recipe called Nelson Nugs, and it was obviously a pale ale built around Nelson. Hmm. I didn't have a bunch of that at the time, but I, of that hop, but I had stolen a bunch of those ideas and techniques for everything I integrated into this kind of quest for the ultimate pale ale. So right. shout out to Tim and Connor for being awesome to share what they would do for how they like sure. making pale ales, but for keeping that idea alive of like, Hey, yeah. pale ale is just as good as IPA, everybody. Like, and they're still you, you doing be, that. You should be drinking more pale ale, everybody who likes IPAs. And I, like, I always thought that idea was cool. We yeah. have, in fact, we have their hazy pale ale is on tap now. Their naming scheme's a little different than yours. <laughs> 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 There's the, the pale ale that we have on tap from them is called Tiny Dangster. <laughs> so Tiny, that's a great beer. It's a great yeah, name. A good one. A different musical inspiration than yours, I would say. Not <laughs> Bat Venom Abyss or Apocalyptic Despair <laughs> yeah, or Strata yeah. Despair or Nightmares in the Human collapse right right? but then uh, and before we move on uh, just the hop grenade we hosted the first ever um at least for us and i think probably maybe the first in existence we had a pale ale festival this year Mm. right here at the hop grenade you did i'm sad to miss it but i'll catch the next one that's a cool thing and i think you're doing what you can to keep this i'm trying this idea alive right you know not wildly successful from a ticket sales standpoint but 
massively successful from a brewer standpoint. Uh, I just sent out brewery invites for Spring Brews Fest. It'll take about a month and a half before my list is finalized. When I sent out the Pale Fest invite, I got answer most of my answers within 24 hours. Hell yeah. Every brewer was That's like, awesome. yep, done, and thank you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank yes. you for what you're doing. Can yeah. we send you two? They're all like, <laughs> yeah, brewers just love it. Um Brewer, okay. Brewers know they want a pale ale at the end of the day, usually, it, if they're uh, in the hoppy beers at all. You know what I'm saying? That's what I call my desert island beer. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly is. Yeah. And feeling like in the middle of a pandemic where you're not necessarily, you know, I wasn't going out to shows or doing the other things I would normally do on the weekends. So if you're stuck on your own desert island at home having a, a good home yeah, pale exactly. ale was, was yeah. one aspect of that. <laughs> yeah. One of the successes of this that we haven't touched on yet, Vito, you really helped me a lot with this because I couldn't get my hands on it otherwise, um, was things you can do during ferment to limit uh, diacetyl production. Okay. And you can add a chemical, ALDC, and there are a bunch of different producers for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally not available on the homebrew side, although it might be. It is now. It, it is, is now. now. Yeah, Fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, Cellar Science is, is, is packaging it in homebrew sizes. In yeah. homebrew size, yeah. It's, it's, it's like a tiny amount you need, right? You don't yeah. need much. You yeah, don't need that's much, yeah. the thing on the... Yeah. On so it the is available for homebrewers Commercial now. homebrew. Yeah. And what level. does that do? So it, it inhibits uh, the production of diacetyl, basically. It stops um, stops it from being produced, or, or it's such low levels that it's below our threshold. Okay. Um, so it just kind of kills diacetyl, yeah, or the production of diacetyl. VDK is the per- precursor to diacetyl. Okay. Now, I can't yeah. remember if it actually helps convert it into something inert or if it helps if it stops it entirely. Yeah. I guess that's either neither, yeah, not sure neither either. here nor there. Yeah. You basically add it at pitch time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and at dry hop time? Uh, yeah, I've been doing it at both times, and and I believe Vinny said they're doing it at both times as well. So you could add it. There is a point in which it denatures um, uh, based on pH, and I want to say it was like 4.3. So most finished IPAs, you're good, you know, because they're 4.7, 4.8. Right it's not going to do anything for you at that point. It's just going to denature. It's it's denature. It solution, won't basically. work in those lower pH environments. Um, and then also temperature, obviously, so you can't use it you know, on the hot side. Um, but yeah, you could add it uh, when you when you pitch your yeast, and then also when you dry hop as well. Because with that dry hop, you're going to get that that second um, you know kick up of, of of fermentation. So it's good to add it there as well. Nice. Yeah. Back in mid 2020, homebrewers couldn't get this. I knew it existed. I'd read, heard about it, podcasts and Brewing Network on the uh, Hopper Brew School. We talked about yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. You turned and, me on to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, I got people, it. People yeah, started <laughs> talking about it. So. I was going to brew with Vito. Anyways, we were working on a on a collab beer uh, at that at the time, and you had access to uh, commercial ingredients. And uh, but is it a, is asked, it a magic bullet or is it no, just, just it's, a helper? It's a helper. helper. I don't okay. think it's a magic bullet, but it's one that I think is key in order to brew the one brew a, a maybe an ideal version of a West Coast pale ale like we would interpret it these days. Like, okay, it's a good tool in the toolbox, and you should probably just if you're having issues like I was, if you're not having the problem, forget it. Maybe you're fine. If you're trying to fight hop creep like I was, like try it, and it may it may help I th- out. I think it's something that has become a little bit more universal on the commercial production side for people who are making a lot of these type of beers, just to try and make things more predictable. For and also the 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 production time. You know, instead of mm-hmm. doing that four days in the tank doing a diacetyl rest, I now could could turn that tank a lot quicker. So it, it allows you to you know produce more faster. Um, so it helps greatly on that side. I think a, vari- commercial side. a variation of this, or even in conjunction, if you're really paranoid, there's the Berkeley Sciences, Berkeley yeast guys have a yeast that genetically modified, do- yeah. genetically like CRISPR modified uh, yeast that doesn't produce 
diacetyl at all, or at least that's the idea. I, I don't right. want to speak for these guys entirely, but I don't know if they're the only exclusive producer of something like that. They could be. That's another way in which you could approach this. I think that may be successful. So if you do that and something like ALDC, that should give you extra insurance on the um, fermentation side that you don't have a lot of extra diacetyl to, to sort of contend with. You know, I think <laughs> though you'd want to do you'd want to uh, treat your ferments like you normally would in terms of time temp and mm-hmm. pitch rate and everything like that. It's not a completely, a complete wild card, but it would help you control that. I think, and when you but gave controls, the key point, yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't kill it, but it lowers Keep it, you know, good standard practice how you would otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but add, you know, potentially think about adding this and see if it helps. I think when you gave me that stuff, mm-hmm. Vito, I immediately started using it. I thought it helped. It wasn't necessarily a magic bullet. I think it's in some cases I was still fighting it a little bit. But that also is a factor of pH, like you said. Mm-hmm. Was I using enough? This stuff is tough to dose on the home brewing level. I mean, you're just talking mm. like I would tight I would pull like titrate out pipette, like like one in in, that's it. Okay. So it was not much. And then you're kinda of wondering if you did it right. You know, you do yeah. it while you're sober, right? You don't do right. it like, yeah. you don't do it after you had four pale ales, right? You do, right. You make you, your fingernails fall off. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta do it very carefully because it's such a small amount. But I think that's a key with the way that modern hops are produced and the way that we think about making these style of beers at the aggressive dry hopping rates in which we're approaching them. Yeah. Stuff like ALDC or a diastole controlling yeast are are probably a really important aspect of it that you can't just ignore. Okay. If you're really trying to hit it, if you're really trying to nail it time in and time out i think that's a a big factor i mean not going crazy with the dry hop really trying to figure out ways in which you can control the ferment including things like chemical or maybe yeast selection Mm -hmm. and going lower on the temp i mean my our old school like 2008 style advice like was like maybe we could ferment it uh, ferment temp you know 68 66 but Maybe do that at a lower temp. Think about doing it at a lower temp. Ferment or dry hop? Dry hop. Down down in the 50s. And uh, when you're trying to control something like diacetyl in the finished beer, test for it. It's kind of a pain to do it and time-consuming on the homebrew side, but you can do just a hot water bath style test for diacetyl. You can even go as as far as to test for it before you dry hop or certainly before you think the beer is done. Like I started Mm. doing that as a matter of practice when I was really trying to fight this on the on the uh, on the finished beer for all these pale ales that I made, like be really honest with myself and study the method to do the hot water bath style. Which is just to warm up uh, a sample. Warm up a sample. And the, the thing I was doing wrong in the beginning, though, is you really got to kind of hold it there. Okay. And I believe that... And, to, and cap it, too. Ca- hold it yeah. and cap it. What sort of temper age do you normally do? Oh, I want to say it's it's pretty warm, like uh, 120, 110 oh, degrees. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 110, 120. pretty warm. Yeah. And, and try to keep it there for about how long? Oh, 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 yeah, minutes, right? That's while, yeah. typically what I think. Interesting. Okay. And, and then, then pull off that cap. Pull out, yeah, and get and in there smell. right away. Yeah. yeah. Chill you'll, it. You'll notice Maybe it. chill it yeah. first, too. Oh, uh, okay. Or s- smell it or chill it. Like, then you're going to get a, a good impression of, like, okay, is this thing really uh, swirl it, smell it? Do you, mm. Are you getting butter? And be honest with yourself. If you are, yeah. it's there. Wait. Or find ways in which you could potentially control it. the alcohol starts it. to show up at that point, too. So it's really, you got to cut through that, right? Because that wants to, to flow out at that point. That alcohol is going to volatilize off, too. Okay, I'm getting the butter there. It's yeah. not a good beer by any yeah. means at that point. But it's, you're, if you're going to have butter diacetyl problems at that point, it's going to come through. Mm. The problem I was fighting, though, in trying to make this ideal pale ale thing was like, okay, if the, thing is already, if the beer's already dry hopped, I had a target for how long I wanted to sit on the dry hop, six, seven, mm. eight, ten days, if it still had diacetyl problems, I wasn't going to 
Pull it. There's no point. Yeah. So then you're over. Maybe you're over dry hopping, or you're you're throwing off other parts of the process, which you can't really correct at that point. But you could think about how you might change for a for the future future iteration of it. Yeah. Going back to the the cold dry hop, uh, you know something that probably helps there too is by by lowering that temperature all the yeast is flocking out right so that's yes that's totally because that's what's happening inhibiting know, yeah. yeast activity yeah. and just simply they're dropping out because it's too cold for them and you, yeah or you've kind of cr- you, you get rid of them out point. yeah and then yeah not as much yeast present to to get that re-fermentation going your potential risk though is and at the homebrew level then is like okay if there's no yeast present and you have a pretty cool target of where you want to dry hop for your oxygen exposure is more of a factor then Mm-hmm. So people think about yeast as absorbing oxygen. Yeah. They're present. They're not going to be there to scavenge. They're not going to be there to scavenge or do yeah. anything. Right. So you have something that's oxygen delicate yeah. to mess, to mess with, but better than producing a buttery flavor. You don't sure, like yeah. it. Dump it right? yeah. so, well, cause yeah. that can at least be solved by drinking faster. Right? Solved by drinking uh, faster. Whereas I guess, to acid oil, you're not solving. Yeah. We go back to the, one of the points I made originally. It's like, okay, well, I was making, this stuff <laughs> and, the, these- and the D wasn't appearing for two weeks, right? But it was just basically me and Nicole or me and whoever's hanging out, stopping by and hanging out in the backyard drinking it. Yeah, I drank it faster and I wouldn't have noticed I had the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but with not without going through it that fast, without going yeah. through it that fast, the beer's going to sit for two, three weeks, and that was generally right. the time which I noticed it was starting to appear like that really awesome dry hop flavor, uh, aroma and flavor would start to start fall yeah. out. What comes to replace it? Is it just very slow O2 right. creep or is it like, oh no, it's See, butter. This is <laughs> why, this is the one thing uh, uh, that stands out uh, about me among our entire staff at the Brewing Network over the years is that I don't think I'd ever suffer from dacetal. <laughs> if I could just brew a good beer in the first place, I do drink it all fast. It would be so gone quickly. I, I'm yeah. like immune to these things. I don't even need any of this advice because <laughs> yeah. mine's gone in a matter of days. There were moments where I could tell yeah. it was turning and I'm like, I'm just going to have an extra beer or two today then because tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. gonna, I might just dump it tomorrow right. three to three days from now. Anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, let me do this. We, and we don't have a ton of time. I don't know if you know this, Nate. We don't do three-hour shows anymore around here. I know. This is, this is it. It's, it's, now that we're our age, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, we can't do these marathons. Bed, bedtime approaches. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do a, a real quick break. And then maybe when we come back, you know, we can talk a little bit of, um, like, you just gave us, I think, a pretty good rundown of best practices. But I don't think I've heard, like... If you were to pick one right now, like what's your best full recipe that you did? Can we maybe do that? For sure. All right. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, Nate's, let's call it almost perfect depths of despair recipe. Indeed. Because it'll never be quite perfect. Hang in there. It's the session. We'll be right back. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Their website features real-time inventory, which means if you can put it in your cart, they can guarantee it'll ship the same day by 4 p.m. on weekdays. Want easy and simple electric brewing? Check out the new Series 2 Mash and Boil, featuring an elevated grain basket so you don't have to calculate sparge water. Williams also features the full Kegland line, everything from Brewzilla to Maltzilla and a huge selection of duo-tight fittings. Looking for a kegerator? Look no further than the Kegland Series X and Plus kegerators, which feature 4 and 8 keg capacity in a compact footprint. And free shipping to the lower 48. Interested in distilling? Look up their proven Williams American bourbon and brandy kits, as well as complete distilling equipment packages and conversion kits for popular systems like the Mash and Boil, Anvil, and the Grainfather. Check them out today. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection. 
Welcome back to the session. Thanks for hanging out with us. We got just a little more to do today uh, in our not three-hour show, even though, you know, I could talk about Pale Ale for three days. I could have turned this into three shows. Um, but what I thought we would do uh, is is try to get uh, try to eke out of Nate what he did come up with that might be his favorite recipe. Or When I do this next, yeah. and, I, and that'll be sooner than later, this will be the starting point. So the sixth iteration that I did... Well, let's just use the name that I kind of settled on is the the final name for this beer, Shadow Despair, for a the pale ale that I like to brew. Yeah. Um, here's the recipe. You want to go get into that? Yep. Basically, yep. So I'm brewing uh, ten gallons. Keep that in mind. I'll keep the percentages and proportions fairly generic, but they're going to be the scaling factor there is going to lean back to that. Um, so starting with a a masher, I'm hitting trying to hit about 100. 52 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, adding a two and a half grams of gypsum, two and a half grams of calcium chloride for a water that's really soft or have very little ion content of each. That'll get me well above a hundred of each of those components using equal proportions of each of those. And this is a uh, pretty simple in terms of, of components, but, um, slightly complex on the on the malt bill side in in terms of overall percentages. Hang on, before um, you start the malt bill, yeah, I want to talk about one fifty two really quick. Yeah, is that a result of your hop creep experiments? And I'm asking, it is. I don't have a lot of knowledge about this, but I'm just going to point out since we use Pale Thirty One as an example. Yep. he's a one forty five guy. Mm. Ah, interesting. Of course, yeah. he's using old school hops too, right? He's using old school so, hops. So, uh, oh, you know, they're still great hops, but uh so anyway, that what did you you landed at 152 as part of the hop creep experiment? I did, and I actually even started higher than that to you did? begin okay. with, which I think was actually you were mentioning an important variable though, Justin. I think when I was doing these in the first two, three, four iterations, like Bat Venom Abyss, like the first one, yeah, I think it was yeah. like 154, 156. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I was taking this idea that like let's just get the thing converted. Like let's Let's move it along. All these are highly converted malts. Like, there's not a problem there. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, I settled on 150, 152 only because I wasn't adding something that you would find in in Pale Thirty One, which is a um, Carafoam or a Carapils type of ah, okay. malt. So this is just base malts. Like, okay. The simplest version of this then would be like fifty percent pills, fifty percent like Viramatu or Viking. I would sneak a maybe up to 15% Maris Otter in there just for fun to kind of give it an interesting, slight, more biscuit aspect to it. But that's the malt bill. And that's why one of the reasons why I'd go up to 150, 152 okay. as opposed to 145. However, that is an important variable. Lowering that down, making sure you get full conversion before you just kind of send starch over into your kettle is an important aspect of that. Something I didn't mention kind of when we were talking about troubleshooting up top. Hmm. I started looking for starch conversion. In the in the mash before I would just continue on, right? Okay. So you homebrew long enough, you stop doing that. You're like, oh, I know my ingredients. I know my process. I don't need to check for that anymore. Yeah. I was concerned, though, that part of these diacetyl creep problems later were like, I'm leaving starch somehow in the in the finished beer. So valid, very valid question, valid point. Okay. And someone could attempt to control that by going even, even lower than that. Okay. But yeah, yeah. my target for this would be 150 to 152-ish kind of range. Um Pretty simple on the hop bittering side, just 0.7 ounces or about 16 IBU of Simcoe for 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. Didn't touch on this earlier, but I'm still a, a believer in adding a little bit of hops, not too much, on the on the hot side and have them coagulate and boil for a while. I Definitely. think that helps with, um, for me, it was something pretty simple. Like then I'm let, not 
fighting boil over while I'm cleaning other stuff and getting yeah. things ready. Adding a little bit of hops does that. If you're only targeting in my mind, like 10, maybe 10 to 15 IBU, it's not going to change like transform change the beer too much. And actually having a little bit of that isomerized hop component, I think adds to our impression of like mm-hmm. a nice crisp, clean type of finish. So okay. targeting about 15 IBU for the really early hot side, like 60 to 75 minutes and then leaving it really blank until the end and doing whirlpool hopping that would give you maybe about 15 IBUs. In this case, I was using uh, Strata, uh, but I would substitute any, any of the hops I kind of mentioned earlier as the ones that would fit really well uh, for West Coast American Style Pale Ale, Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, anything like this. Um, and then doing, I have one of those um, uh, Blickman hop backs. I like that thing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So doing another two, three, four ounces in there of kind of a similar hop that you like before you're sending it over to uh, some kind of a heat single changer. pass through it, single pass yeah. through it. Yep. Uh, that kind of thing too. That's optional though. I wouldn't think that's essential to doing this, but it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Um, yeah. 10 gallons batch split between uh, white labs, WLP one. And then like I mentioned up top, the uh, Safel dry yeast, the, the fermentus USO five and fermenting those at starting at 63 and raising it up to 66, one degree each day until, sorry, one degree each day until 68, hmm. um, and then holding it there for until seven to 10 days. That's a point where I would start, especially when I was troubleshooting these diacetyl things, like check it at that point and see where I'm at and see if I'm having VDK or diacetyl type problems before, before dry hopping. And then the dry hopping range in, in that, realm of like maybe 0.7 but more like uh, one ounce to one and a half ounces per gallon of a fresh hop that you like maybe backing that down to like 0.5 or 0.7 ounces per gallon if you have cryo cryo would be one really good way to kind of fight this something like simcoe citra mosaic cryo or a simcoe simcoe citra mosaic pellet up to about a, a ounce and a half per gallon and a shorter dry hop contact time maybe about seven days max uh, up to uh, a lower temp, maybe as low as like 50 or lower. I didn't go lower than that. I know there are guys that, that certainly do these days. But that was kind of my limit in terms of, of pushing the temp uh, back down, but really being mindful of along the way of watching for terminal gravities and diacetyl before you start crashing it or, or doing lower temps and, and things along those lines. And again, yeah, back to your best practices, maybe doing the water bath test on that diacetyl at that doing point. It, exactly, doing yeah. the water bath test on it and those sorts of <clears> things <throat> before you before you start moving into a phase where you're, you don't want the yeast to be active anymore. You still could have precursor that could tran- could transform and all those kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a good pale ale to me. I'm ready to drink it. I know. I know. We got we got winds. We got winds in front of us at least. Though, Where right? which think, is awesome. I wanted yeah. to ask you guys. It's. I think it's always hard to predict ingredients. In fact, I learned from some BJCP judges, the good ones. You're not even supposed to really predict uh, ingredients or uh, sometimes processes when you're judging a beer. You, you can talk about what's wrong with it. You can talk about this or that, what's right about it, but to try to predict. Anyhow, that being said, I'm going to ask you to predict. Uh, what do you think about this malt bill? Like, Do you think this is this is kind of the very new school malt bill, um, no crystal? What do you think, Vito? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely new school. Uh, yeah, there's no crystal malt in here. <clears throat> I'd say Pilsner is the base malt. Um Probably Maybe a more 50, than 50. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, We know yeah, too much a, about wind being super a fan clean, of, super, mm. you know, of producing lots of yeah. German style lagers. So, you know, they probably had some 
some base malt like pills around or certainly yeah. wasn't afraid to use it. And I, that does seem present. Do you think clear. it's 100% pills? Or do you think there's something else going on? I think on? there's two. It seems like there's two row in it or something, something uh, else that's possibly a wild card, but it seems like there's definitely a German style pills type malt in there. If I had to guess, it might yeah. be all two row too, though. It could yeah. be surprised, but yeah. it seems a little bit more the the color alone, uh, very light yeah. straw, super light, and it seems to have a little bit of that sort of, you know, toasting it, just slight toastiness to it. Yeah. On the other hand, when we had row two fill hill fifty six earlier, that was a little bit more old school, old school in the sense that it's a great beer, awesome beer, and a great yeah. platform for Simcoe, but it's more it's got a little bit bigger bitterness, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit more color. It's got a little bit more of a classic kind of older, a little bit older school pale ale. It's kind of in the middle, I think. It's, it's no Sierra bit. Nevada. It's not no. that old school, no. but it's not this dry and new school either. Right? Exactly. It's very yeah. 2008, 2012 era yeah. where it's got a little bit of in both in both camps. Right. Um, My two favorites on the market right now. No surprise, are still Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, always in my fridge. It's never too old school for me. Uh, There was a time on my palate that it was, that that time is gone. It's never too old school for me. And uh, Liquid Gravity's uh, Mm. um, Pale from the Crypt. Oh, yeah, that's that's a a good beer. And again, that has some old school features, uh, certainly the color. Um, You know, it must be doing something. It's got a good uh, meaty backbone. But so new school on the hops and, and dryness of it and everything else. Like, it's it's a new school pale ale. Yeah. Not like wins here, right? Um, it, it's, it's got a little more body than that, but it, that's great. That That's my wheelhouse right now, actually. It's like anything that's with a, uh, within a few notches either side of pale from the crypt, that's my real wheelhouse. And then my go-to is still just Sierra. Yeah. And you can find Sierra everywhere too, which is, which is awesome. And especially if you can find it in decent shape, then you're, then you're stuck. Well, that's the other thing though. Like, as you guys talked about earlier about their, the control, the just their O2 control and their control of everything else. It's actually harder to find Sierra Nevada in bad shape than it is to find it in good shape. If I'm on a road trip in the middle of nowhere and I got (laughs) bad options at a gas station, I'm like, I'm going to probably grab Sierra Nevada Pale Ale more than anything else because there's better better than average chance that's still was handled bad. You yeah, know, exactly. It's, yeah. And another pro tip, and I've given this pro tip plenty of times before, but if you're new, uh, you know, if you go to a dive bar and they have Sierra Nevada on tap, you know, I'm talking a dive bar here. I'm not talking like, you know, oh, it's kind of, I mean like a shitty bar. Uh, a lot of shitty bars now will have at least one good craft beer. If you see Sierra Nevada on tap, ask for it in a bottle. Hmm. They almost always also have in the yeah. bottle. And if you're at a dive bar, take the bottle. Yeah. It's not Sierra Nevada's fault. <laughs> Those are lines are bad. Yeah. Take the bottle. That's my old school uh, tip for you there, too, is if, if you have any doubt whatsoever of the quality of the establishment, take the bottle. Does, unlike my bad keg conditioning experiment, <laughs> that is actually a bottle conditioned beer in, good, right. in really good shape. And, it, and it, it's, it's probably been mostly refrigerated its whole life. It certainly was when Sierra had control of it. And if it spent some time unrefrigerated, they are, their, their O2 levels are so low that you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Um, you know, Pen, and Penske file from Faction. Oh, that's a, fantastic. That's, great one. that's a, yeah. that's a really nice pale ale. And one that uh, I think has been a product of lots of years of dialing in this idea. Yeah. And it's there. Certainly Roger and all the Faction crew, 
uh, their version of what their ideal pale ale is in many ways. And it's, You're right. it's a little more crystal driven than what I talked about and a little bit more along the lines of maybe what you'd find from Liquid Gravity. Yeah. Kind of a little bit more in that realm. It's within a couple notches right awesome there. Awesome beer, though. If I'm going to order Certainly a keg awesome for beer. myself from here, it, it's actually, because I can't always get kegs of, of, of Pale for the Crypt, it's, it's Penske file. That's what I take home. Penske is fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. slightly bigger. It's like 5.8, but it's got, um, it's one of the, I think it's one of the best Equinaut. Yeah. beers that I think I've ever tasted. One that really showcases what that hop can bring to the, uh, leave it as a mosaic or at least one of their hop. And anyways, um, trying to think of another wi- widely available or nationally distributed pale ale that we could recommend, mm-hmm. but I can't think of another nationally one. There's a few others that are widely available, at least on the West Coast. Yeah, we're a bit spoiled because the region has so many too. But I mean, Sierra Nevada was, in, was a great one to point to. But, it yeah, is. As, as it, a national one, but we can't say Pale 31 anymore, for example. I know, like that would have been, earlier, that yeah. been, yeah, exactly something that we... Uh, I used to love to uh, 1500. Oh, Drake's, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, I still like that from time to time. I don't love mm. it as, as much as I used to, and I can't put my finger on why, uh, but I do still like that beer. Yeah, I love uh, that one. I had it a couple yeah. months ago, then I was like, oh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't. I still enjoy it. I think, yeah, that one, sadly, I as think much it's as my I, memory of it. As yeah. much as I love Drake's, the, the competition for tap room space and, yeah. and, and tap handle space in, in places is super high right now. I just see it around a little less. Whenever I do, I normally do have it and enjoy it. But yeah. yeah. The a nice Simcoe Amarillo uh, pale ale, if I remember correctly. Mm. A really nice one. Yeah. Faction made a couple of five eight two. I think was one. I'm trying to remember some names. It's funny uh, if you go to Faction. Shout out to Faction. They, they won a they won a GABF award for five eight two uh, this year right. actually. And that's yeah, a pale ale, right? That was a pale that's a good ale. It's pale. an awesome pale ale. It's featuring a very new school hop, a badass, badass hop by five eight two. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that if you go to Faction, there's always like five pale ales on. There's partly because he always has a ton of beers on. He loves pale ales. And I think it's probably the only brewery I've ever been to that there's almost always five pale ales on. It's fantastic. Roger, his, Roger's stuck in his ways, and yeah. there's no session IPA, or there's no no, there's no. no variation on the IPA thing. It's like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a pale ale. Yeah. You know? um, and not only, full disclosure, Nicole, Nicole does, does <clears throat> one of her part-time gigs is working at Faction, and I, and I love those folks, and they're, they're near and dear to me, certainly because of that. Uh, if nothing else, but of all these experiments that I did, one of the cool things was getting really, really good data mm. from time to time because mm. Nicole is doing lab work there. She would, oh yeah, let me slip in one of your one of your things to, you, to nice just yeah. to see if it just for, for, if we're out, out where we're at sort of thing. Which do is you cool. remember during COVID we did it was the Fresh Hop thing. We all got together um, like ten breweries, and it was fun. Like Nicole took everybody's beers came back and like analyzed them and like wow. you're out four points on your alcohol level or you know it was just she was oh, like busting cool. people out it was great you know it was hilarious it was, <laughs> i bet the brewers actually loved that. oh we loved it man. yeah it was awesome yeah, yeah brewer, one of the toughest things especially i mean home brewing it's insane like you're, you don't have good data anywhere and there's no really really good ways to collect it and um on the pro brewing side that's even more of an important thing because you got a business that depends on it but being able to get good data out of a lab, you know, yeah. is is always valuable, even if it's kind of an in 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 the moment sort of way like that. I think people do really appreciate it. Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah, lends credibility to your experiments here that you shared with everybody. That's cool. So. You can get like so. If, so let's say you have a data from something like an alkalizer you not only have like your finishing alcohol quantity and your finishing gravity but you know based on that what your starting gravity was. Mm. So I can go back and say, and in in many cases through experiments and the iterations I was going through, I'm like, okay, my equipment's off by this. Oh, right. Right. And so I was, 
uh, oftentimes, oftentimes say, thinking I was like at nine Play-Doh, I was really at like nine and a half or something, right? Okay, yeah. So my gravities were starting a little bit higher than I thought. And on the attenuation side, I was attenuating a little even further than I thought in some cases. So then you right. take that into consideration when you're doing this. Like not everyone has access to try and get data like that, but those are really interesting in the moments where you do. I think like White Labs, for example, does a... Uh, they used to, and I think they maybe do this sometimes. They had like a what they called a big QC day. Yeah, I remember sending in uh, samples for this many, many years ago, That's where cool. they do a, bu- a nice discount for uh, home brewers who want to send in a sample. And I think back then they did like two or three. They probably do something similar to they, they do. Still yeah, do that. And yeah, you, you pay some cash to them, and they they will run your stuff, and you get cool data back. If you're yeah. serious about trying to you know go pro or at least get better on your home brewing side, and you want to understand your process, those are pretty interesting things. As much as we like to trust our measurements they're sometimes not right sure a lot i mean of the, they're still 20 dollars hydrometers so yeah. yeah yeah exactly that's where i was gonna go a lot of the manufacturers like anton parr specifically is making a homebrew uh level you know bring in you know the so you don't spend forty thousand dollars you know they got stuff for like 400 bucks that that yeah. you know is close um, nice yeah so you're starting to see that make its way to the homebrew level as well i love it well gentlemen nate uh Vito, Thanks, thank you so much for coming in and doing this with me this is super fun um i like to I, i'm my goal for the show if for listeners and everybody is to just to change it up I, I don't always want it to just be pros i love bringing back in um homebrew and the more that i can do that and try to change it up that I'm, I'm really going to try to do that because this is super fun for me and i do feel like my my interviews are a little different now. Like in the early days, I really just would have listened, listened, listened. I, of course, I would have asked a dumb question uh, or, or 10. But now I, I somewhere in the back of this weird brain, I have a bunch of data there that I, that helps me listen to your data too and like compare it. And so it's a lot more fun for me right now. It used to be fun for me too to like not know anything. And then there was this like middle zone where I knew a bunch of stuff, even though I couldn't brew very good. And now I'm sort of back to like both. I like taking what I knew and now know. And like you said, there's all this new school stuff happening with new hops that it's a little more fun for me because I understand it in a different way. So I appreciate you guys. You have all this natural instinct this. of what all this baseline knowledge now. You know? Yeah. Whereas when I started, I had no base. I think it was part of the success of the show. I had no baseline knowledge and that helped all the beginners. Well, now I can't just fake that I know nothing anymore. I'd still know I would call it very little, but I know enough to like, I really can grasp what you're saying. And I'm drinking so much more new school beers. Like I, I've also gotten out of my rut of only drinking Sierra Nevada, right? That, um, it's just really fun for me to listen to, to this ingredient talk and this process talk because I'm tasting this stuff out in the commercial world too. I'm tasting hop creep. You know, I'm tasting uh, some of these things we're talking about. Oh, it's out there so. too sometimes, and I think people got a good grasp on it though. But if you if you run into it, you'll you'll know, know it. you'll no, know no. what it is, and it's <laughs> know, sometimes yeah. it it takes a few days for it to emerge. But and just uh, remember, don't shame your brewer for that no. per se in those hoppy beers. You asked. For five uh, pounds of hops per <laughs> barrel, consumer, you fucking asked for this, and now uh, they're having to deal. Oh, with and it. we love it, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was it's fun stepping back through making these beers, thinking I knew what I was doing, and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> wait a minute, I have a lot to learn here if I really want to make them good again. Which is cool. Right. It's a never ending journey because all the stuff changes. There's no, yeah, there's no way in which you think you could ever mastered it. So thanks, this has been awesome. Uh, yeah, well, I hope we'll, awesome. hope you'll come back and do more of it. Indeed. Um, you know, HomebrewCon this year is in San Diego, Nate. It is. San Diego rules. You have that on your radar at all? It is on the radar, yeah. You I think, think you I need might... to go. I don't know. You think you're going to brew for it? 
Vito and I were just thinking that we've, we're just, we've been yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. it. All right. Yeah. You know, Chris Graham and I brewed last year, and I think we're going to do it again oh, this year. Oh, you should. That was my first year ever entering the national competition. Oh, damn. Nice. And, um, you know, Chris and I made a couple mistakes that we're ready to fix, and I think uh, we might be in it, too. So, you know. I Maybe. might get over that. Uh, it was the year it was in Philly. I think this was that was 2012 mm. or 14. Yeah, I, was I entered like 15 that. beers that year, and none of them went to the, the was next your heart, round. Your heartbreak like, year. Oh, that was the jump the shark. It was time to hang it up, sort of moment. But <laughs> yeah. you persist. You know what I mean? Uh, so I've many been back. Brewers now, I've, yeah. I've entered since and been back and whatnot. But and, and San Diego rules. Like you can go there and just yeah. not even enter and enjoy the whole thing and just kick, kick around and go enjoy awesome breweries in San Diego. Some of the best beer you'll find around. But Heck yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's time to go back. I think so, too. I'll meet up there. I Look forward to it. Happen. All right, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to check out our sponsor, More Beer. Uh, they can do everything. Everything we talked about today, you can probably find over at morebeer.com. Also, um, don't forget to go get your Spring Brews Festival tickets. That's March 25th this year. It's Saturday from 12 to 4. Probably be about 60 amazing breweries there. There's a Facebook event for it over on the Brewing Network Facebook page. I'll start listing the brewers there next week. Uh, we're about a uh, about third to halfway there with our with our brewers. So I want you to go check that out. Get your tickets. Come hang out with us. Um, all right, and then keep on home brewing. You know, it's not all about the pro beer. All right, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Take care of yourselves and your beer. Session is a production of the Brewing Network and brought to you by More Beer. Check them out at morebeer.com. Find more content and live video of this show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brewing network. For sponsorship opportunities and information, please reach out to advertising at thebrewingnetwork.com. To reach our hosts, contact feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com.